All right. So let's start by uh, having the two of you introduce yourselves as well as Pandio. All right. All right. I'll uh, I'll start. I'm Gideon Rubin. I'm the CEO and co-founder, along with Josh Odmark. Um, as far as my background, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I focus primarily with using uh, big data and data science to uh, sort of gain an advantage and then write software around it um, across the different startups I've done. Uh, you know, the Pandio really came from the fact that Josh and I were, were both at separate startups and uh, we were talking about what to do next. And we realized that uh, with IoT data and a lot of the data sources these days getting really good, so access to data from the standpoint of having a lot of data and, and IoT devices, sensor data, that type of thing, uh, we realized that th that was actually available these days. Uh, and on the other side of the equation, there were a lot of great uh, models out there, so machine learning models to analyze and get, uh, get value out of that data. But the in-between was still very costly and very custom and extremely time-consuming. And mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you didn't even know if that infrastructure you were building would support what your end project was as far as trying to get the insights out of the data because you didn't always know when you started how many data sources you need or what type or how much data. So we really built Pandio to help companies get to AI faster so they wouldn't have to think about that, that infrastructure uh, that needs to be built just to implement machine learning models uh, for large enterprises. So. That was really kind of where it came from. I mean, if you think about where Josh and I were before this, um, I was working with a European company, helping them uh, launch in the U.S., and we were providing mapping and navigation data to the major mapping and navigation companies. So uh, Apple Maps, Waze, Google Maps, um, TomTom here, those types of companies, and just huge amounts of data um, and that processing. And it was very... Uh, time-consuming and complex, and, and that really showed me the need and the pain uh, really well before we started this. And I'll let Josh jump in and give a little bit about his background. Yeah, so my name is Joshua Odemark. I'm the CTO and, and co-founder of Pandio with Gideon. Um, my background is sort of your traditional software engineer. Um, I've, I've spent sort of the last decade working in the machine learning and AI space, um, trying to sort of build those initiatives from the ground up. So, you know, being responsible for hiring out the traditional software engineers, the DevOps, the ML ops, the data scientists, junior, junior data scientists, and this was in the insurance industry, so it was actuaries and a lot of analysts and things like that. Um, so in the process of trying to um, coordinate all that and have those teams work together and produce something of value. I saw a whole lot of inefficiencies and and all the difficulties in doing that. Um, so Pandio was sort of created to help address a lot of those pain points and accelerate the you know adoption of AI in general. Talk to me about how you. Um, well, I understand the general problem that you are pointing to. Um, let's get down to specifics on your early customers that you went in to solve the problem uh, for, and what did you see in those customers? What kinds of systems did you encounter, and what kind of environments did you encounter? Yeah, so, so uh, first I just wanted to note, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, I do have a master's in management science where I focused on applied statistics. 
So, uh-huh. you know, I do, I do come from the quantitative side a little bit. Um, but uh, to answer your question here, uh, one of our first customers was a large-scale media company. Um, and, you know, the challenge they had was huge amounts of data from many, many sources. So think in terms of media opportunities. So um, they have hun- hundreds of thousands of small business customers that they manage the marketing campaigns for. And uh, they manage these campaigns across 30 or 50 different marketing channels. So for example, it might be uh, paid marketing on Facebook or, or Google paid search, um, or it might be other types of uh, sponsored listings or, or other things on the internet, uh, banner ads or mobile ads. Um, and so they had dozens of opportunities for these small businesses. And then they had hundreds of thousands of small businesses. Um, and some of these campaigns were, were as little as a few hundred dollars a month. So there's no way to have humans manage uh, that many channels across that many small businesses and, be, and mm-hmm. act effectively. And if they, if they just did sort of like, um, you know, heuristics or, you know, managed in a spreadsheet, which is what they were really doing in the past, it, it doesn't scale well. So you have some people, some companies that are, that are not getting good results in, you know, Tulsa, Oklahoma, while someone in, you know, uh, Atlanta, Georgia might be getting great results. So, what they wanted to do was really empower their data scientists. They had a team of six data scientists. They had about 140 people on the overall product team uh, when we started. Um, and what we did was we gave them first access. So in other words, you know, the ability to access all the channels of data coming in from all these media sources um, and all their internal data sources with customer data. Um, and then we allowed them to map all that data together. So in other words, you know, they might have a customer number in one department or one product set and then a different customer number for the same customer in a different product set. Or mm-hmm. from a, a business they acquired, they, they merged over seven times over the last, let's say, 20 years. So they had a lot of legacy technology and platforms in there. So, again, we, we allowed them to access all the data from all the different places. Then we allowed them to automate the processing. So, in other words, ingest the data, whatever they were trying to do at the time. So they actually built something pretty interesting where they give an estimate when the, when the small business comes to the website. Um, they put in the business name and some information, and they get a, an estimate that's based on millions of small businesses doing marketing campaigns across all these channels over several years. So that was the first part of the output of the model um, was that estimate of, you know, how many leads are they going to get a month depending on how much they spend, which – took into account things like their location and their industry um, and other features as well, size of business, years in business, other things. Um, and then once, once they had that estimate and they were comfortable moving ahead to uh, hire our client as their marketing firm, then that we pull in the data and every day reprocess. So that it, it changes the bids across Google, across Facebook, across all the different channels um, and then it updates the budgets, um, and it keeps reprocessing. So it's optimizing all these different campaigns for hundreds of thousands of small businesses along with all the different channels. Um, and so that's really what kind of their end outcome or goal. So, so again, we allowed them to access the data. We allowed them to automate the movement of the data. And then at the end, we allowed them to get insights that enabled their clients to be highly successful um, with their marketing campaigns, which is the end goal for the customer. And actually, they were able to, with that new um, sort of 
positioning and capabilities, they uh, went public in August, um, really pushing machine learning as, as a core competency. So we're really proud of that. And that 140-person team that I mentioned, the, the product is, is you know, five, 600% larger as far as customer base than it was when we started. And that team has been um, – and able to be reduced down to, I, I believe it's in the 40s now. So they cut down to four data scientists from six. Um, their DevOps and MLOps teams were cut drastically. Um, they only need about a half full-time equivalent to run the software to keep it all running, whereas before they needed dozens of DevOps and engineers to keep things going, along with analysts that were manually running spreadsheets and putting it back into the system. So that's just uh, kind of one example, but it gives you kind of a – a good understanding. So um, do you operate as a services company? Do you take these projects and then apply your expertise to achieve the kinds of outcomes you're talking about? So we are a SaaS company, software as a service. Mm -hmm. um, so so entrepreneurs or, or large-scale businesses can go to our website. Um, we have three main uh, solutions. Um, they can all be tried for free. Pandio ML, which is our machine learning uh, Python library, um, that's open source, so that can be used completely free. Um, okay. And then, and then the, the part about access, so, so we allow them to access disparate data sources through a central interface. So from a data science or computer science perspective, query in place, right? So with that, um, that's also, uh, people can come and try it for free and connect their systems and try it out. Um, and then the third piece is really about data logistics or the automation and movement of the data. So you can think of that as distributed messaging. Um, and that also, companies can try for free, and they can try each individually, or when they put them all together, that's what we really call AI orchestration. So that allows them to really orchestrate all these pieces through one central place. And... Um what part, uh, I mean, what kind of usage do you have for the open source piece of this? So we just launched that a few weeks ago. We've gotten really good feedback. Um, there, there are, you know, I mean, many, many people downloading and using it. But our focus has been primarily with very large-scale enterprises because those are the ones that have some of the most challenging data problems when you talk about scale and performance issues. Uh, because our our capabilities uh, as far as performance and scale are far beyond uh, every solution in the market. Um, so that's where you see massive cost and, and time savings. Um, so with that, I would say that, uh, you know, several of the top financial institutions in the world have downloaded and started using it. Um, airlines have downloaded and started using it. Um, you know, media companies, very large, you know, some of the largest media companies in the world have downloaded and started using it. So we've been working more with some of these larger companies to, to uh, sort of help them find use cases and then, um, you know, kind of white glove their, their testing and usage of Pandio ML. I see. And um, talk to me a little bit about the data infrastructure that you interface with um, around you. So, I mean, are we talking what, – what role do the uh, – NoSQL databases play in this ecosystem? Where do you sit? Where do they sit? And how do you interface, et cetera? So, 
So the first uh, piece of technology that Gideon mentioned that, that we sort of refer to as accessibility, so that's, um, that's a, a sort of query in place engine that lets you run SQL against any sort of data source, even flat files. So in that case, we're an enabler of those systems. So if you've got data, for example, in Postgres, MySQL, Redshift, DynamoDB, or Snowflake, or something like that, very rarely do you have all of your data in one sort of data store where you can execute a single query against that data store and, and have everything you need. Usually, you need to join at least two sources, and in many cases, it's 10 plus. Uh, so our query engine lets you do joins across different database technologies uh, in a single query. Um, so that becomes very powerful. You can also query um, petabytes of data with it as well. So, so that's incredibly powerful, and, and we work with um, a few of databases right now, but we support pretty much any type of protocol or database uh, that's available, as well as real-time streaming frameworks like Apache Pulsar and Apache Kafka. Um, so you can run an SQL query against a live stream of data or join it against a you know, data that's at rest somewhere. Um, so that's a pretty cool piece of technology and its main purpose is just to be a feeder into something. So maybe that's gonna power a dashboard so that you can show some sort of metrics or, you know, to your customers. It can also be a feeder into something like Spark or another system where you're feeding data into a training uh, script for your, your model or your machine learning. Talk to me a bit about um, Apache Cassandra and Datastack. How do you work with them? So for them, we're, they're just sort of a, another database that you can query into. Um, so what that would look like is in the Pandio platform, you would go and you would add a connection to Cassandra, then you would enter your credentials to actually make that connection, your user access credentials, and then you can start running queries against that database. And then you would add something else out there like Snowflake or DynamoDB or you know, my, another MySQL provider like RDS at AWS. You would add those with your user access credentials and now you can execute a single query against all of them and join different tables um, so so we you know the way we work with them is typically make it easier for people to get data out of those systems um, with a single interface into multiple databases and um, do you see Cassandra a lot yeah, Cassandra has, has been sort of popping up a lot more lately um, when it comes to machine learning. So um, because of its speed um, uh, to both put data into it and get data out of it, um, it works fantastic uh, for a lot of those sort of use cases. Um, so people sort of treat it both as a traditional data store but also as a sort of um, intermediary. Um, so you imagine with like data science, there's typically um, layers to your model or a bunch of steps that you need to take until you get to your model. Um, 
we see Cassandra being used both as a, a data store that maybe feeds the labeled data, but also a place to put the intermediary steps. Um, so sort of saving artifacts or saving the state of your process and building a machine learning model. Um, and do you and see, yeah, go ahead, please finish. I was just going to say too, and in the streaming space, um, Cassandra is a, is a popular sort of destination for streaming data. Very interesting. Now, uh, do you see startups building applications on the Cassandra uh, database? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, it's uh, it's relatively new technology. So, so typically they're using Cassandra if it um, solves a, a very specific use case for them. So, for example, in streaming, that that's a great example because the um, if you're going to stream data, it's coming at a very high velocity, and so you need something like. Uh, Cassandra that can handle that type of a thing. There's other ways to do it, such as like storing it actually in in S3 or something like that. Um, so that's not the only solution, but it's a popular one right now. Mm. And so um, in your bit, yeah, go ahead, please. I, I was just going to say, when it comes to startups too, we we see a lot of uh, situations where um, you know they have really great idea as far as like what they're trying to accomplish or the product they're trying to deliver to the market. And they end up using a lot of these cloud services uh, because their availability, their scalability, it's great. Um, and, but they get into kind of the make it work situation. So they've, mm -hmm. they've propped something up through Amazon or, or, or some other provider, you know, whether it's Cassandra or, or one of the many other choices. And then they kind of get things up and running and working but it doesn't necessarily mean it's scalable or, or production ready. And that's where we oftentimes start to work with startups where they want to transition to a much more stable, scalable uh, infrastructure and something that's ready to use right out of the gate so they don't have to manage it themselves or spin up you know, tons of servers and then start integrating the pieces. Um, you know, that's where we come in oftentimes. How many startups do you work with? So we don't disclose our, our customer numbers at this point because we're, you know, private company. Um, but it, it's in the dozens, uh, definitely. And I would say that if you look at my background, I was a champion for Startup America, which was mm -hmm. a, uh, an initiative out of the White House and the Kauffman Foundation and some others. Um, so I have pretty deep ties in the startup world, and we're just starting to, um, you know, fully commercialize what we've built uh, so we're starting to engage with the startup world now, and we've actually had some great response just in the last few weeks uh, from the startup community starting to try a lot of our tools. And some of our, some of our uh, earliest customers were uh, Founders Fund Startup um, and you know, some other VC-backed startups um, and some others that were pre-funding as well. Okay. Very good. What... Um in, in all the work that you're doing, what are some open problems or what are some startup ideas that come to you that new entrepreneurs who are uh, going to be reading this interview uh, should be looking at? Uh, I can kick that off with um, uh, there's probably two that uh, I would love for to be solved. One is a particularly difficult one, and that's um, – that's around data sharing. So one of the things that's very difficult these days is, let's say um, 
Facebook wanted to share their data with Google. You know, just mm-hmm. even saying that on the face of it, most people are like, that's never going to happen, you know? Um, but one of the sort of struggles of a lot of machine learning and artificial intelligence is having access to data. Um, right now, typically only the big corporations have enough access to data to do certain models. Some, some machine learning algorithms, you don't need a huge amount of data, um, but, but others you do. And the more data you have, the better it sort of gets, which is a, traditionally a true kind of thing to say about anything in machine learning. But, um, but data sharing is very difficult because um, it, it's not just a, a technology problem. That, that is sort of, you know, that's my sort of space and what gets me very interested. But um, there's things out there like homomorphic encryption, so where mm-hmm. you can sort of encrypt the data and then you could give the data over and mm-hmm. somebody could learn from that encrypted data set so they can't actually see the raw data but the relationship between the data points like if they were integer values at the end of the day the relationship in the encryption data remains so maybe the order is maintained or the, the distance between the two numbers you know so that you can perform math against it um, but there's some sort of problems that still exist in that space. One being it's orders of magnitude more difficult to compute against encrypted data and things of that nature. Microsoft's making huge strides there. Mm-hmm. And we actually have talked to a number of companies who are very much in this space, um, and they're working very hard to sort of solve that. But I think um, in order for artificial intelligence to really sort of permeate um, the world, someone's got to solve this sort of data sharing um, uh, sort of problem. And that can just be making data available digitally or, you know, helping companies share data with confidence. Um, but there's likely to be political battles in there too. Again, if you could imagine all the problems with trying to get Google to share with Facebook and vice versa. Um, it's a very difficult problem to sort of solve. That's a, that's a big one for me. Um, because it is one of the, it's one of the reasons why AI adoption, everybody wants AI, but very few people have it, and that's one of the reasons. Very good. All right. Um, I'm going to cut the recording, and then I want to chat with you about one thing quickly. Just one second. Sure.